I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the World Football Index podcast. Tonight we're going to continue our World Cup series uh, and we're going this time to Chile in 1962. And joining me on the pod as always uh, is my co-host Armando Angulo. Hi Armando, it's been a while. You actually ha- you didn't make the end of the last one. Hopefully you'll make the end of this one. Yeah, unfortunately I had to run out, man. I had some personal things I had to take care of prior engagements. It ran a little long, but it was fantastic information. I went back and I listened to the second part of that uh, Italian 90 World uh, podcast and it was fantastic, dude. So you guys did a great job without me. You guys don't need me that much. But it's a pleasure to be back on as always, my friend. No, well, you, you you were missed, but as I say, uh, just just happy to have you back on again. So joining us tonight on the pod, uh, actually a Chilean resident, uh, Adam Brandon. Uh, hi, are you, Adam? Welcome on the pod. Hello, um, I'm good, thank you. Listen, if you would you like to give us a little background? You don't sound much like a Chilean accent there. <laughs> How did you end up in the country and so on? And what 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 are your links to football? Well. Um, yeah, I'm originally from a place called Bury St Edmunds in uh, in East Anglia, in in England. Um, I also spent a few years uh, in London before I decided to travel the world, and basically I ended up in Santiago in Chile, and then ended up meeting my what would then become my wife, and we moved to Arica in 2010. So I've been here for a few years now. Indeed, sounds a bit like my own story there, a little bit, and, and, and you're not too far away from me either, just across the way there in Chile. But uh, as I say, you're very, very welcome on the pod. It's lovely, lovely to have uh, all our expats from South America on here because we do have a quite a big focus on the South American scene. But we're we're, we're going to get into uh, the 1962 World Cup. Uh, would you would you like to give us a little bit of a background on it, and uh, you know, in the lead up to this tournament, maybe fr- from your perspective of what you've learned from being in the country and so on around this World Cup before we actually get into the matches of it and so on. Uh, what, what, what was the feeling in the country? You know, I know that Chile has just uh, had another major tournament, which they won uh, in the Copa America uh, in, in 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 the summer past. Um, what was the vibe around uh, Chile at that time? Well, it's it's quite interesting actually. If you look at like the history of World Cup hosts, 
Chile kind of strikes you as a slightly odd choice. Um, in 1962, um, you know, the economy in Chile um, was 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 pretty bad. But if you compare it to the rest of South America, um, you know, if if you just take, uh, for example, life expectancy as um, as one measure of of Chile's uh, quality of life at the time, um, you know, it's well behind other South American nations. And where, if you look at it today, you know, they have one of the highest life expectancies in in the continent. So it's quite interesting from that point of view. Um, how did they get here? Well, or how did they get there? Um, well, in 1954, the Chilean Football Federation launched Chile's bid to host the World Cup in 1962. Um, the president of the bid was a man called Carlos Ditburn. And Ditburn travelled to many nations um, presenting Chile as, as a potential host for the tournament. But the Chile delegation was famously up against the Argentinian delegation. And at this time, you know, it seemed like Argentina were dead certs to host this World Cup. Um, yeah, from, from my reading of it, Adam, uh, you know, I, I read a little bit on this, and, and there, there seemed to be a, a little bit of arrogance from the Argentinians. You know, yeah, they were well, ready. they wanted it. You know, they were ready. They wanted it. Uh, yeah, well, it's uh, it's uh, really interesting that part of the story. Actually, the Argentinian, uh, the president of the Argentinian bid, Raúl Colombo. He presented Argentina's bid, and like you say, it was quite an arrogant presentation um, in front of FIFA. And he ended it by saying, "We can start the World Cup tomorrow. We have it all, like this." And uh, and then you know, little Chile come back with um, their presentation, and Carlos Dipburn, um was a bit of a genius, really, when it came to speeches because he ended his. His presentation was, well, because we have nothing, we will do everything. And and that really, as the story goes, really won Chile the bid. Uh, um, you know, the, the FIFA delegates loved this uh, uh, this presentation by Carlos Dipburn. And Chile won the bid 32 votes to 11 in the end. Quite an achievement. No, and I'll say, you know, if you take, you know, modern day Chile, you know, I know I live in, in the country next to you there. Um, you, you know, it, it, I know you visited Brazil recently, Adam. Uh, is, is, would, you, would you class Chile as a more advanced nation than Brazil? Uh, I think it's difficult to say. Um, Brazil is so vast. You know, there's areas of Brazil which are, you know, far richer than areas of Chile, you know. But I think the yeah. richest people in, in Brazil are probably like even far more richer than the people in the richest people in Chile. Um but you also have the extreme poverty at the other end, you know, you've probably got more extreme poverty in Brazil than you do Chile. So there's probably sort of a greater sort of middle class you could say in, in Chile. These days. <laughs> 
I think the point I'm trying to put, it, or trying to make here is, you know, if we take modern day Chile and then try and base Chile in, in 1962, you know, you're t- you're talking what over 50 years ago, um, you know, what, what kind of, was the infrastructure and what you're saying they they were having to build from scratch? Chile as a nation were, were they capable of that in 1962? Obviously they were. Well, yeah, I I think they kind of used the World Cup as um as an excuse to get going in certain in certain respects um as a nation um you know that that'd been through the industrial revolution obviously and all of that but but you know their main industry such as copper mining you know that didn't exist in 1962 that wasn't really the main source of um of of the Chilean economy at that point, the main source of income for the Chilean economy. It was really quite a under underdeveloped nation, I think you could say. Certainly no, I, I, a great contrast to today where, you know, Chile is seen as arguably the most advanced country in South America. No, and, and, and I think you're, I think you're correct on that point, Armando. Is there is there anything you want to bring in here at this point? Yeah, I actually wanted to ask because, like you said, uh, it was stated that they they didn't have much. They were building for this World Cup and building, you know, a little bit of a revolution there in in getting things better, you know, in the economy and everything in Chile. But my question is, there was originally eight stadiums that were selected in eight different cities in in Chile, but there was the devastating earthquake in 1960 and that all changed. Can you explain to us a little bit how that changed and how that impacted, you know, the building and, and trying to get this World Cup organized with this earthquake, you know, halfway through them getting ready for the World Cup? Yeah, sure. Um, well, in 1960, um, Chile suffered the biggest earthquake on record anywhere in the world. Still to this day, is 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 the is the record and a 9.5 on the Richter scale. Yeah, you know, it caused great damage to a number of cities, especially in the south of Chile. Um, and the south of Chile was going to be host to. Uh, the World Cup. There was going to be four different host cities in the in the south, um, but because of the devastation the earthquake caused, it meant that Chile had to basically say goodbye to those host cities and halve the number from and uh, uh, half the total number from eight to eight to four cities, and three of which were actually used um, in uh, 2015 Copper America. Were they refurbished especially for that, Adam? Uh, yeah. Or, or, uh, or, 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 yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, because, you know, the, of, of the four stadiums, so you've got um, the National Stadium, um, that had been already built in the, in the 30s, actually, um, and all they did for the World Cup was increase its capacity. And uh, the other the other three venues you had uh, Vinya del Mar, which is um, host to a club called Everton here in in Chile, which is named after the famous Everton club in in uh, in England. Favorite team of uh, your yours, no? <laughs> I don't I don't, don't recognise them at all. <laughs> it's some yeah. small club in England. Or something. I'm sorry, I'm stopping at that. <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, another 
Another venue was in Rancagua, which is host to a club called O'Higgins. Um, quite a strange name, which on Twitter I always get asked about, you know, why is there a club called O'Higgins in, in, <laughs> in Chile? Um, and that's obviously due to the fact that Chile's liberator was a man of Irish origin called Bernardo O'Higgins. Um, and the other host city was Arica, which is right in the north of Chile, and that's where I live today. And the stadium, that is the only host city where they purposely built a stadium for the World Cup, and they built a World Cup village as well for all the nations to stay in. Arica was the host city for one group of the 1962 World Cup for players from the four nations which were going to be competing in the group which Arica was host to. Um, those four nations being Uruguay, Colombia, Soviet Union and Yugoslavia. <laughs> Yugoslavia, yes. That's the one I was uh, trying to think of. Um, and uh, and the interesting thing about this is um, I watched a documentary a couple of years ago because in, uh, in 2012, there was uh, like a special uh, day dedicated to like the history of the 1962 World Cup here in Arica. And I went to see this uh, documentary. And in this documentary, they were talking about the fact that this World Cup village was built and it was, you know, the, the locals didn't want this at all. <laughs> yeah, it, it caused quite a controversy. Uh, sounds, like, sounds like all over Brazil in 2014. Yeah, it sounds everybody wanted it. Right. Everybody wanted it until they realized it was going to cost and then no more. <laughs> so, well, it, it, it was mainly for that for the other problem it caused, where you know people were basically being forced to leave their leave their homes, so that these uh, these new facilities could be built. No, indeed, and, and and that earthquake, how much of an impact? You know, uh, South American countries tend to be sort of very much bigger, you know, north to south than they do east to west. And how much of an impact did it have on the whole country, Adam? Uh, if you can give us an idea of the impact on that. Yeah, well, the impact of the earthquake was actually felt, you know, it, even as far as here in Arica, which is incredible. You know, the distance between Arica and where the epicenter of the earthquake was, which was Valdivia, you know, you're talking thousands of kilometers there. You know, Chile's such a long country, so for it to be felt that far away was incredible. But as I said earlier, the majority of the damage was in the south of the country, and therefore four cities in the south of Chile lost their, lost their chance to host World Cup matches, unfortunately. And, and when you talk about that, you know, the level of devastation, obviously, as you say, this has never been, there's never been a bigger earthquake in the history of the world. Um, uh, you know, are, are, are the scars of that still evident today? Well, not um, not physically speaking, I don't think. Not, not that I've been to Valdivia where the epicenter was. Um, maybe there is some evidence there still. But I'd say that the lasting damage is probably more psychological. You know, here in Chile, earthquakes is a big 
is a big topic. You know, people worry about it a lot. So I, I think it's more of a fear that they're going to suffer another a big one. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, uh, Adam, on, on the stadiums, like in Arica or, or, or Santiago. I know the Estadio Nacional is, is a large stadium and the capacity is, was around 60,000 or so. But all these other stadiums, the, the three other venues, they, they were modest in size, no? Under 20,000 or so? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, like, like you say, you know, the, the other three venues were all um, 20,000 or under, I, I believe. Um, uh, the... And, the national stadium i've i've, I've seen different um, estimates as to a the capacity of the stadium and b the amount of people who are actually in watching the world cup matches certainly the ones involving chile you know estimates range from 70,000 to 90,000 um, so yeah it was quite a big difference there but you know, World Cup fever in 1962, yeah, it's it's a bit different to how it is these days. No, there's certainly so, no fan park. There's no fan parks, or the, you know, the <laughs> razzmatazz is certainly you, you know. Uh, we're doing the series here, and it's just an interesting yeah. note. There, there's you know, the first official music we can find for the World Cup is 1978. All of these were before even it was you know boxed as uh, as a global thing. Well, you know, we had Tim on. Tim on from the last time telling us about the videotapes coming in 58. And I'm sure in 62 it wasn't much further advanced, you know, in those four years, especially not in South America. No, I, I, I was uh, looking into this actually for the pod. And, um, you know, from from what I could see, the, the 1962 World Cup was really the birth of television here in Chile. People started buying televisions really in the year building up of the World Cup and the Chile games which were broadcast on on Chile were really the first kind of national events um, seen on Chilean television so it's quite interesting from that point of view and uh, and another another cultural landmark you could say for the 1962 World Cup was the 1962 World Cup actually had the first official World Cup song did you know that? No, was it a national? Which nation, or was it actual for, for the actual tournament? Yeah, it was for the actual tournament. It was called um, Rock uh, del Mundial, I believe. And I couldn't find anything for anything else, but that that, that, that is interesting. Yeah, the interesting thing about the official song for the 1962 World Cup was that it was a, a rock and roll. It was uh, sung in in Spanish, um, but you know the actual music in it is like very classic rock and roll. It was a it was a real cultural um, landmark for the area. Looking back now, you know the fact that this was the first time that you really saw football and music mixed together, um, and uh, and it shows you the impact that rock and roll music had at the time. You know, it even found its way into this World Cup. No, that, that's that's actually very very interesting because, as I say, it, it, it's just how these World Cups evolved. You know, I mean, we're, 
in, in doing these pods and, and researching for them, you, you know, it, it's this growth. It's this every World Cup is just like this growth and growth and growth. And there are landmarks, and I, and I think the two that we've done so far in ninety and fifty eight were very, very much landmarks of of in in, in the growth of tactics in football and and the growth of of you know. The, the auxiliary staff that came to tournaments and so on, and you know the the world changed really with 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 those tournaments. And then '68 was the, the the first one after after that again, and and again Brazil came into it as champions. Um, you know, before before we actually get into the group phase, I, ju- I just want to say to the people listening, you know, there was only I think correct me if I'm wrong, Adam. It was a much shorter World Cup um, from from yeah. what we you know from what we see today. Let's say, oh yeah, uh, sure. Well, well, one of the main reasons for that, of course, is the impact of television. Since then, you know, okay, the Chile games were live here in Chile, but you know, none of the other games were apart from the final. Yeah, just look at the opening day of that World Cup, for example. You you have, I think, three different ga- three different games, or four four different games, sorry, on at the same time, on the same day, thirtieth of May, nineteen sixty two. And, and that, that's unthinkable in today's world, oh, you know, yeah, because be, because because of the way it's packaged for television. Okay, so 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 before we get into the World Cup group phase proper, um, I think you, there's something you wanted to bring to the table, Adam, around the qualifying section for for, for this tournament. Yeah, I I think the uh, I think the two two or three interesting uh, moments in the qualification for the 1962 World Cup. I, I think. The first one that I came across was the fact that Bulgaria shocked France to qualify for this. And that is something that, of course, they would repeat 40 years later when they qualified for the um, 1994 World Cup. Um, So that was quite interesting. And also, um, this was the last World Cup where there was no Asian or African teams in it. And and from there, I take it there was the opportunity to to, to qualify there for for Asia and Africa. Um, yeah, through, South, by, South, by way of South, playoff. Yeah, sure. South South Korea got knocked out by Yugoslavia in an intercontinental playoff, and Morocco were beaten by Spain in another one. I think that was uh, certainly one of the most telling things uh, about the World Cup at this time. You know, it it was called a World Cup, but really. It wasn't, you know, it was a, it was a close shot for, you know, the two biggest continents in the world, which is quite incredible when you think about it. Well, I suppose, you know, when you think back, you know, we, we, we covered it on the 1990 pod, you know, the African nations really only arrived as a force in, in the 90s. Um, you know, before then, when you think back, they were there, thereabouts, but they would have been classed in those days as the old adage used to be whipping boys. You know, the whipping boys sure. in a group with zero points and whatnot. But, it was, but the thing is, is that, you know, you just have to look at the progress that they have made now that they have been included in the World Cup. You know, not, not many sides fancy going up against African sides. You only have to look at the last World Cup for that, I think. Well, yes, okay, African sides didn't get to... Not one African side got to the quarterfinal, but one of the things um, often overlooked in Germany's run to the final and actually winning the World Cup, you know, their two most difficult game, games came against African nations. You know, they, no. uh, they, they drew against Ghana 
and um, and they really were given a right scare by Algeria. So I, I, I think, um, yes, they probably would have been whipping boys um, in those days, but, you know, you have to start somewhere. No, indeed. And there was another thing, actually, that was the last time we ever saw, and it was uh, three goals per game average. Um, this sure, was the yeah. last World Cup. This was, uh, the goals per game dropped below three for the first time ever during this tournament, and it's never come back. And that's more yeah. to do, I think, with the, as we grew more tactically aware, the tactics became better, the setups became better, you know, everything became more professional yeah. as the years Sin- went on. Sin- cynical defending became the norm as well. <laughs> Well, as, as opposed to the butchery, which which probably existed, especially in the South American <laughs> nations at that, uh, during yeah, the 60s, you know, it, it was quite brutal, to say the least. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think the uh, goals per game is probably best contrasted by the fact, you know, in 1958, the, the World Cup that Tim Vickery um, was on your podcast for, which he spoke about so well, um, you know, Justin Fontaine of France, he got... 13 goals in that World Cup and the top scorer in the 1958 World Cup well there wasn't just one on their own but there was various who got four goals so I think it's uh, it's quite a difference in four years that no it is it is a massive difference but listen, we'll skip into the actual tournament itself, and sure. and as I say, as I say, I, I want to talk a little bit about probably the most famous game uh, to begin with of of that group phase, uh, and it's known as the Battle of Santiago. It was Chile against Italy, and I think it's famous for all the wrong reasons, Adam. Maybe you can talk us through it. Yeah. Um, well, for those listeners who don't know anything about this game, um, I encourage you to look it up on YouTube and especially find the introduction by David Coleman on the BBC um, when he introduces the highlights of this game between Chile and Italy. Um, He says, Good evening. The game you are about to see is the most stupid, appalling, disgusting and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. And the way he just spits those words out is um, is one of my favourite uh, broadcast moments. I think. Um, yeah. Well, how did it happen? How did it get this bad between? How did relations get this bad between Chile and Italy? You ask me. Well, tensions between the two had escalated in the lead up to the game after two Italian journalists had poured scorn on the Chilean capital. They reported a dump of a city which was full of crime, misery and prostitution with an uneducated, drunk and malnourished population. The Italian journalists were soon forced out of the country when, when the Italian newspapers got back to the Chilean ones. And there was even a case of an Argentinian um, who was beaten up in a case of mistaken identity. Um, <laughs> on the eve of the match. So, there you have it. It was a bit sort of, what, what do you class as an X-rated game? Oh, <laughs> in, yeah, in, sure. In well, more ways than one. Um, well, was, you know, obviously, after, after, this, uh, after this had come out, um, <laughs> this newspaper report had come out, um, uh, you know, slagging off the, slagging off Chileans. 
um, the Italians uh, sensed that they were going to be in for a tight terrain of abuse from the locals. And they even tried to calm tensions by offering flowers to the Chilean women in the crowd. I've actually seen some footage of this. And the Italian players go over to the stands, you know, they're offering these flowers and they just get thrown back in their faces. That lo lovely South American attitude that they have. <laughs> it was even evident back then. But in this game, it was Chile that prevailed 2-0. Um, and, and, you know... As I say, was there any sendings off in that one, Adam? I think there was, wasn't um, there? Yeah. <laughs> well, the the uh, the referee for this game was uh, a man called Ken Aston from England, and it was after just eight minutes that he sent off an Italian player, and then numerous incidents followed after that. You know, you had flying kicks, and there was there was also a Another moment where um, the Chilean star of the 1962 World Cup, uh, Lionel Sanchez, um, he, he's actually a son of a professional boxer. He was actually a son of a professional boxer. And um, after he suffered one too many hacks from the, from the Italians, he floored an uh, Italian player called Mario David with a superb left hook. Is, is that illegal? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's. I'm pretty sure his dad would be proud of it. But yeah, <laughs> I'm no, not and sure. I'll tell you what. That, that this actually, was a very... this actually crossed my mind during the Copper America um, <laughs> recently because uh, in in the Copper America, you know, Neymar got banned for the rest of the tournament. Um, but... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Something which is, you know, pretty minor when you compare to, you know, what the stars of this, uh, of this World Cup got up to on the no, pitch. And, and again, you know, the, the 90 pub did last time, it, it, those tackles were still there. It was only sort of really sort of 
the, the 1990 World Cup was the, the end of all of all of that. You know, yeah. FIFA really t- tightened tightened but, the reins. Yeah. I, so, well, one of the things you know, the I think the 1994 World Cup is remembered for was you know the the referees were very card happy, weren't they, in the 1994 yeah, yeah. World Cup? And I and I think that sort of uh, curtailed the uh, the rough play in the game. No, until he came out of that group, it was Group Two with with West Germany, uh, Italy, and Switzerland. And in in any football era, that's a strong group, Adam. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, they 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 did pretty well. You know, they got off to a good start in the opening match, um, beating Switzerland three uh, one. Uh, then they had that battle of Santiago against Italy, which they won two 0 with two fairly late goals. Um, when the Italians were also down to nine men, although they did lose their last game against West Germany. And that defeat meant that they obviously didn't continue in the national stadium. So they ended up playing their quarterfinal clash in the small city of Arica here in the north of Chile in front of just 17,000 fans officially, but people... Old timers here in Arica tell me that there was definitely more than that in the stadium, as you can imagine. And yeah, they beat a pretty decent-looking Soviet Union team two to one. Awesome, man! I actually wanted to ask you about another, <clears throat> excuse me, another South American side. The well, the only non-European side as well as Chile to advance from the groups, and that's Brazil. And a young player, uh, Garincha, who stole the show, uh, from what I hear on this World Cup. Uh, you know, Pele was there, but it was really the Garincha show as the uh, as the World Cup, you know, progressed. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, going into this World Cup, um, everybody at the time expected Pele, it, you know, to be the star. No, it was it was meant to be his World Cup. And Pele got off to a fantastic start in the tournament. He assisted. He assisted goals. He scored. A, he, he scored another one. But then against uh, Czechoslovakia, which was Brazil's final group game. No, sorry, it was Brazil's uh, second game, which they which they drew nil nil, and Pele had to go off injured in that in that match um, after trying to take a long range shot. And yeah, the the player who came in for him was a guy called Amarildo. Have I pronounced that right? You'd probably be able to tell me, Dave. <laughs> uh, I'm from Northern Ireland. Amarildo. <laughs> that sounds Amarildo. right to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, Amarildo, I, I, actually, Amarildo came in and actually did a decent job in Pele's place. You know, he, he scored the two goals against Spain in the next group game. And, um, and, he, and he generally had a decent World Cup. But yeah. After Pele's injury, this World Cup very much belonged to Carincha, who was absolutely awesome. You know, you luckily for us these days, you know, there's plenty of footage of this World Cup online. Um, you know, search any Brazil game on YouTube, and and you'll find some footage from from this World Cup, and you'll see just how good Carincha was. You know, he was tearing defenses apart. You know, it's probably there's probably been only two World Cups where you can say that one player completely stole the show, and that is obviously 1986, Diego Maradona, and 1962, Carincha. 
No, and what a player he was, you know. And 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 as I say, we t- we discussed him with Tim on the fifty-eight pod, um, and and really, you know, he. As I say, I live in the country here, and you're 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 always reminded of what he did, you know. And there's a lot of Brazilians, a, 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 more than you would imagine, who rate Garincha higher than than they rate Pele. Yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've heard and read that many times over the years. You know, for me, I think what was most Interesting about the Garincha story is is not what happened. I mean, his life was a mess after and, and, and during football with alcoholism, alcoholism and a lot of different battles and stuff, right? But what interested me the most in his footballing career was he he was he had a physical defect, right? He had like one leg shorter than the other or something like that. Sure, yeah, he it was like his knees were kind of inverted in some way. Um, yeah, very strange con- condition. Um, I, I I suspect that. He probably wouldn't even be allowed to play football these days with with, with that kind of condition. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, his right leg bent outwards and his left leg was six centimetres shorter and curved inwards. Um, so, let, yeah. Let's say he he looked, uh, posture-wise, He you know, even on the ball playing football, he's the most awkward-looking, um, you know, the most awkward style of a footballer you'll ever see, and and it's funny. I'll, I'll just tell you a little aside here. It was it was a thing I saw on television here, but oh, in the, within the last year, um, his his grandchildren, and you know, the, it, you think of football today and, and and the amount of money that's floating about it, and and you know these people are basically on the poverty line, and and they were helping them out yeah. because he's such a national hero, and they rebuilt a restaurant for you know it's yeah. what what the, what well, the TV companies here do, and. You know, when you think of such a national treasure to to have ended his life in such a way that he did, it was you know, it's such a shame. Yeah, sure. You know, he was a he he was a character with uh, with a number of issues. You know, um, I believe sort of after the nineteen sixty two World Cup, you know, he or it might have been just before. In fact, you know, he I think I believe that he married. Uh, quite famous Brazilian uh, singer and you know his his football career kind of went off the rails a little bit after that um, and ov- obviously he had problems with drink as well like so many of the geniuses of football do you know I, you guys were talking about Paul Gascoigne in in the last pod and um, and yeah there's obviously George Best as well and uh, Garincha was an, is another one you could uh, add to that list, unfortunately. Yeah, of, of just uh, burning out just too soon, long before their time, very, very sadly. Armando, where, where do you want to take us? I think we should jump ahead to the quarterfinals, and, and I want to discuss you know, Chile and the Soviet Union, and I want to discuss the Brazil-England game. So, Adam, if you could start and give us a little you know, recap and, and a little bit of, uh, of you know, the feeling going on at that time for the Chile-Soviet Union match and, and what the, the energy was like around the stadium and the buzz. Yeah, so, um, well, I touched on it a little, little bit earlier, but yeah, the, the Chile game, like I say, was was here in um, in the small city of Arica, um, which is quite close to the border of uh, to um, with Peru, and that is in fact one of the reasons why they why they were seeded was because uh, of, of its proximity to Peru. But Peru ended up losing their playoff to Colombia and not making it. So <laughs> 
they're expecting like this invasion of Peru fans to come down and support their team, but obviously it never happened. Anyway, Arica ended up getting one of the biggest games of the tournament um, in this quarterfinal against the Soviet Union with a great Lev Yashin in goal for the Soviet Union. But it was, it was quite interesting, actually, because Yashin had quite a poor World Cup. Um, you know, he let, he let in um, four goals in one match against Colombia, and he was at fault for a couple of them. Um, so going into this game, Chile were wary of the Soviet Union, but confident at the same time that they could, they could beat them. And I think maybe you could argue that the fact that the game was played in this like tighter, smaller stadium, you know, perhaps helped them past what was a tricky game. Um, they, they took an early lead, Soviet Union hit, hit back, and Chile scored again before halftime and managed to hold on for victory. And I would assume that, you know, being the home nation had a lot to do with that, being as the Soviet Union was such a power back in those days, yeah? Yeah, sure. Well, it was quite a lot, a lot of uh, kind of uh, legendary tales now going around about the Soviet Union and sports in that in that time. You know, everybody thought that they had this great, you know, advanced technology um, compared to the rest of the world. So it was there's some mystery about it. I think Tim touched on this in the 1958 pod, if I remember correctly. There's like a certain amount of mystique around the Soviet Union and and uh, and their sports, but yeah, Chile managed to pull through. And then uh, we we see that uh, Czechoslovakia beat Hungary one nil in, in their matchup, and Yugoslavia was able to eke by West Germany in the 85th minute in a one nil as well. But let's touch on the Brazil England game, and and I want to go to you first, Dave. What are your thoughts on this matchup? And Brazil was able to win three one, and as someone that stays in Brazil, uh, what what's the talk about this, and and how, how do people still remember this? Um, the only person I've spoken to about this would, would uh, who's old enough really to remember it that I know um, would have seen this as pretty much a routine win for Brazil uh, and pretty much what they would have expected. Uh, Grinch scored two and Vava scored. He was also the star of uh, the 58 World Cup. But if you look at this England team, there's certainly some household names involved in it. Uh, you know, even 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 people. Kids today will know some of the names. You know, Jimmy Armfield, Bobby Robson, who who managed the England team in the nineteen ninety World Cup, great player. Jimmy Greaves, another amazing player. Bobby Charlton, um, Bobby Moore, Roger Hunt, Liverpool legend. Um, Don Howe, who who was uh, an assistant coach for a long time. There's a lot of names. Um, you know, who who were in management or, or in the technical side of things for 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 you know the era of football I grew up in. And you know this is a this is a like a good uh, England team uh, that went there, but Brazil on the night were just too much for them. But at that time they were the reigning world champions. Uh, okay, they, they they had lost Pele by that stage, but but it didn't really matter because you know what they had in reserve was was damn good, Armando. Absolutely, man. You can't go wrong with Garincha and Baba. You're always going to have enough firepower there. Can I just add as well? This was basically the the, the, the tournament. You know, the, England knew they were they were having their own World Cup in '66 at this stage, and this was them building for 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 what would have been you know their World Cup win. This was the the tournament before that, and when you consider how little international football there was around in those days, you know, it was very very important uh, as a building block for England. Would, would I be correct in that, Adam? 
Uh, yes, um, but quite a lot changed really in the four years um, between the 1962 and 66 World Cup. You know, first of all, you you have to look at the fact that you know the manager situation changed dramatically, really, because you know Winter Waterbottom who had been in charge for quite a long time. Um, he, although he was the manager at this point, the England squad and the England team, I believe to some extent, was picked by uh, by selectors. Really, a bit like how the cricket team is picked. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just up to the manager. You know, so that's that's quite a dramatic change. Um, just looking at that, and and this World Cup saw Bobby Moore make his breakthrough, um, and you know his the experience gained um, in this World Cup certainly saw him in good stead for the for four years later when he would lift the World Cup with England. You also had. Uh, Jimmy Greaves in the squad, um, and he was a regular in 1962, but of course he would end up losing his place in 66 to Jeff Hurst, although he, he was still in the squad, and I think he did start games for England in 66 as well. Um, and uh, Bobby Charlton was also there, as you've mentioned before, and there were some, like, some squad members that you could match up as well, like Jimmy Armfield played in in uh, a lot in 62 but then not so much in 66 I don't think he got on in 66 but yeah there wasn't there wasn't too many regulars still left over from 62 you know Alf Ramsey had very much brought his own men in by 66 I think um, but one player I would like to speak about actually in, you know and we've just been touching on the quarterfinal between Brazil and England and this is another match where which you can watch online Extended highlights are available of it, and um, Grincha is up against um, England's left back uh, Ray Wilson. And you know, a, a lot of the reports still read about this game today. You know, say that you know Grincha tore the England defence apart. But one of the most interesting things when you actually watch this match is that Ray Wilson actually has a fantastic game. You know, Grincha is basically relentless. Absolutely relentless. But Ray Wilson tackles him on numerous occasions, stands up to him, forces him out wide. And Grinch's first goal actually ends up coming from a corner. He, he gets his head on a corner. And his second goal comes on the hour mark. But by this point, because he had been frustrated by Ray Wilson, he had kind of drifted inside. And he was... And he was more sort of focusing on the central defenders rather than the left back. And he and he hit a rocket of a shot to put Brazil 3-1 up from that position. But yeah, he, he had switched positions by that point because Ray Wilson, to his credit, had really given Garincha a great battle. And that was certainly one of the great matchups of this World Cup. Awesome, man. I'll have to look that up. Uh, but let's move on a little bit and let's get into the semifinals. It was a all-continental matchup, so we had Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia on the European side, and they only had five 
they only had they had less than six thousand people at the Estadio Sausalito, I believe that's how that's pronounced. Yeah, yeah. and, and the six thousand people in the semifinal is ridiculous to think of. Uh, <laughs> Czechoslovakia went yeah. out and won. You know, uh, they 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 had a penalty and they won three to one late. But that was that was a good matchup. But to, to think of just six thousand is really you know surprising. You know, what are your thoughts on that, Adam? Well, the main reason, again, is the fact that the game was played at exactly the same time as Brazil took on Chile. And that game had almost 80,000, so there you go. Yeah, Yeah. and was on television, I believe. So, there there you go. That's why there was such a low attendance at the other game. It was credit (laughs) to those 6,000 who turned up that that they went and saw a match. Yeah, no kidding. but but yeah, I mean, second of all, move on, and they they won three to one, and they 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 booked their place in the final uh, to face the winner of Brazil Chile. Talk to me about that match, man. Uh, it was a good matchup. Uh, Brazil ended up winning four to two, embraced by Vava and Garincha again. Uh, but it was a good matchup, and uh, what is the sentiment around that? To to this day, still Chile's best ever World Cup, um, and I think that. There's not too many regrets there either that they like didn't get to the final or anything, but just because how good Garincha was for Brazil on the day, um, you know, sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, you know, he's just too good. You know, there's 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 nothing we can do about it. You know, Chile gave a good account of themselves, but Garincha proved the difference once again. Yeah, that seems to be an ongoing theme, it seemed, in this World Cup. And it was destined for him and, and, and Brazil to end up lifting the title again as they beat uh, Czechoslovakia in the final. And uh, on that note, I wanted to discuss, you know, the final. And, and, and well, actually, before I get to that, Chile ended up winning the third place match. And, and does that have any significance? I know you said it's the great, it's the, their best result yet. But do they hold a special place for that? third place achievement i know now it's kind of a consolation but back in those days how was that really looked at well back in those days i think you know it was it was seen as a good achievement the fact uh the winner actually came in the last minute of the game um and uh and and you know you can see on the footage the crowd are pretty crazy about it um it was played the day before the world cup final and there was only but more people did actually turn out for the world cup final so you know there was 10,000 less there than for their semi-final so you know as with these kind of third place playoff matches you know the world cup fever wasn't quite wasn't quite there still you know there was still some disappointment from that semi-final defeat but having said that when they look back i think they look about look back with quite a lot of pride that they managed to finish third because there were some pretty good teams in this World Cup. I, th- I think it would be fair to say as well, um, you know, you, you look at, at the countries no longer exist, the likes of Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, these were historically behind the Iron Curtain. We knew nothing about them, but they always came to World Cups as powerhouses, Adam. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, but the, the talent that, like you say, you know, the Czech, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia had before the they broke up was incredible you know i you know they were a force to be reckoned with in in european club football you know teams from these countries and also when they came to international tournaments they uh they they certainly gave a good account of themselves um but that's that waned over the years obviously after the breakup although they 
you do get some some decent side. You know, the Czech Republic were decent for a period, I think, between sort of 19, 1996 to probably 2006. Um, I had kind of another golden era as the Czech Republic. Um, and Slovakia obviously qualified for the 2010 World Cup. Uh, and, you know, the various nations which came out of the breakup of Yugoslavia. Um, you know, Croatia had a fantastic 1998 tournament. Um, it's, it's probably the kind of the major highlight since the since the death of Yugoslavia. No, and absolutely, and you you know we, we spoke about about it, I think on the last pod about you know while while the reunification of Germany really did did benefit the the, the nation as a whole for football, the, the breakup of like uh, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia. Um, you, you know, it had had the opposite effect. You know, it actually weakened them from what they used to be a powerhouse, and then all of a sudden, they just you, you know, obviously the, the players are scattered over more regions, and and you just don't have that same impact. But you know, it, it was it was quite common to see them very very deep in these World Cups. Um, you know, up until the nineties, you know, you always you always would have been very very wary of them. But even in this final, Adam Brazil, you know, basically. You may as well say walked it. They, they went behind to a goal uh, on 15 minutes, but after that, it was all Brazil. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, fair to say. Um, possibly a little bit harsh on Czechoslovakia, um, who 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 had some decent spells in 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 the match. They they had this uh, forward that I'd like to speak about a little bit called Adolf uh, Scherer. You know, what a fantastic player. You know, this is a player I'd never heard of before, before a couple of years ago when I was building up to the 2014 World Cup and, and was writing some articles and on um, on various uh, World Cups which had, which had gone before. And, you know, I discovered this forward for Czechoslovakia whilst writing about it. And, you know, it's a wonderful player. He, he, he peaked at the 1962 World Cup, if you look at his career. But yeah, he was one of the stars of the tournament um, for Czechoslovakia, and um, and he uh, he makes the pass for the first Czechoslovakia goal, if my memory serves me correctly, which was converted by Masopust. But um, Adolf Schürer, his name was a fantastic player. And again, one of those players I urge people to look up footage on 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 YouTube. That's cool, and that segues us nicely into to, you know we're talking about players, and uh, you know as as a usual feature uh, we do the, the the World Football Index Top 100 list, and we invite our guests to to um, nominate a player still playing the game at any level that that you like. You don't need to be a world beater or anything like that, Adam. Who who have you got with us our first tonight, and and, and why? Um, well, I have to go with my favourite Norwich player. Um, I'm a Norwich fan. We, we all have our problems. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to have to go with a little genius who, although was born in the Elmerid Island, he has the soul and the feet of a South American. And that is Wesley Houlihan. Well, there you go. Wesley Houlihan made the list. Never would have thought it, but there we go, everyone. 
Never, never in my days. <laughs> no, but there again, I, there's been some. There's I can, I can some respect this. Calls. I can respect this, Carl. <laughs> but Dave, I listened to the podcast where you put Carl Lafferty in. And fact, as a, as a fact, he did this. It's a fact. Thank you for calling him out. <laughs> as a Norwich fan, I, as a Norwich fan, I couldn't, I couldn't see Carl Lafferty in in such an illustrious list. And Wes Houlihan not be there. I was panicking in case you said Delia Smith for a minute. <laughs> no, but Mr. Angulo, who have you got for us tonight? Anybody interesting? Yeah, you know, it's not often I go with a former United player, but I'm going to go with Chicharito Hernandez. And what he's doing at Leverkusen has just been amazing. He's had a rebirth in his career, and he's really proven to be a top goal scorer in Europe. And I said when he moved there that I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was going to be in the top three goal scorers in uh, the Bundesliga. And he's really proven me to be look like some sort of genius. So for that, I got Chicharito Hernandez in this list, and he really deserves it. Well, that, that's as stupid as Kyle Lafferty, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, feel, I, think, I think as biased as my call might have been, yours too are certainly up there as well. Well, uh, tonight I'm going to go for a Brazilian and, and probably the most talented of the lot. Uh, at, at the moment, anyway, to me, he's, the, he's the, the most pivotal figure. Forget Neymar. For me, it's William. I know I rave on in these pods about him. Um, just Mourinho doesn't understand this player clearly or, or, or plays him within himself because for Brazil, he is just absolutely outstanding. As I say, for me, he's the most pivotal member of, of, of the, the Seleção Brasileiro at the minute. It's, it, you know, he's just fantastic. And he's a player that my club nearly signed, nearly, 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 but not nearly enough. And I, I just have nothing but admiration for him, regardless of what club he plays for. Uh, and, and that's really for me, Armando. Fantastic little player, man. I can't argue with that. And with that, everyone, you know, as Dave likes to famously say, time marches on on us and we got to get going. But uh, it was a fantastic podcast. Great debut, Adam. If there's anywhere that people can find you on Twitter, man, or if you have anything to plug, please share that with us. Where can the people get a hold of you, brother? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Canadian Scores. I don't really have anything else to plug at this moment in time. Absolutely, man. Everybody give him a follow. Gives you a little insight on South America and, and perspective from down there. Mr. Karen, I know you have something very special to plug and you're a little excited and giddy about it. So can you please share with the people what's going on here at WFI? Me? Excited? Giddy? Don't be silly. <laughs> no, uh, just to, to, to let the guys know, you know, we, we have had some really nice feedback over the last few weeks uh, around these World Cup pods and so on. And, and people have sort of suggested to us we could be doing with more content. So that's exactly what we're going to do for you. Um, we're, we're going to, we're, we don't know the name of it just yet, what we're, going to, what we're going to name it, but I can say that we will be recording two pods next week and there will be two WF by iPods uh, going forward. Hopefully we can put out two most weeks. Uh, there, there's quite a bit of uh, ideas coming in. Again, anyone who has any idea for anything, Thing football related that you, you would like to cover in the podcast, even to come on and appear, give us a give us a shout on Twitter. We, we'll respond to you. You're, you're more than welcome. Um, and you know, other than that, that's that's it, Armando. On that note, everyone, uh, please subscribe on on iTunes. Please check us out on the Anfield Index app. Uh, rate us on there. Give us a review if you guys, like Dave said, have anything to add or or want to hear something on this podcast, or you want to contribute yourself. By all means, reach out to us. You can find me at Armando Angulo Twelve on Twitter. You could follow us uh, on the WFI page and everything else. But for me, from Dave, from Adam, from the mastermind James Nalton, and everybody else here, well. we'll 
Football Index. Have a good night, everyone, and thank you for your continued support. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.